Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week. And once again, thank you for joining us on the program as we continue to share this, I believe, incredibly powerful series on Roadmap to Reformation. And for the last several months, we've been taking about three to four programs uh, to deal with each one of the 12 gates of Nehemiah and Ezra to show you kind of the progression and things that God is restoring, I believe, back to the church in this Roadmap to Reformation, because the gates speak of an entrance into uh, this city of God. And, uh, you know, uh, to access, you know, in the Revelation chapter 21, what's in the midst of the city is the Lamb. He's the central figure, and uh, He's in the midst of all of it. And so we access something of redemption as we start to enter in through these gates, and we're talking about them being entrances into or out of something in the city. Now, uh, we've gone through all of them, uh, and we're dealing with the 11th gate of Nehemiah, which is the prison gate. We began last week uh, to talk about the prison gate, and, and uh, the scripture that we're reading from is Nehemiah, the 12th chapter. In verse number 39, it says, And from above the gate of Ephraim, and above the old gate, and above the fish gate, and the tower of Hananiel, and the tower of Mia, even under the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. So the eleventh gate that we are talking about is the prison gate. And last week what we did was we showed you in Isaiah chapter 53, especially verse number 8, it says, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And it goes on to say that he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquity, and the entire chapter of the book of Isaiah 53, let me come on over here, the whole chapter is talking about uh, something he did in his redemptive work. Now let me say quickly before we go back into detail of it, that if you have missed any of these and you think, boy, I am interested in this series, but I must have missed, well, at this point you've missed 40 some of them. They are archived on our YouTube channel. There's also an audio version of it on our podcast, and you can also get the RSS feed for your Android device. And the easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website, and that's on the lower corner of the screen there. And there is a link in the upper right-hand corner that will take you directly to our YouTube channel and take you to our podcast, take you to the RSS feed where you can watch these, listen to them at your leisure, and I believe you will be blessed as you go back through these. This has been an incredible study for me. And, uh, you know, at this point, we are still allowing some of this material to be out there for free. As long as our partners help to support do that, we're going to continue to do that. But uh, uh, that those are available to you for free. If you subscribe to the channel, you will be notified whenever we have a new one that's put up. And uh, it's, uh, once again, at no charge. If you want to sow something into the ministry by doing that, you uh, are more than encouraged to do so. 
But I started last week by talking about Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And we started to show you, uh, I talked about last night how uh, I just kind of picture this as a Arm and Hammer bacon soda box where he rolls up his sleeve and flexes his muscle and says, do you want to see the strength and the power and the might of our God? And, uh, you know, I, 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 was said, I was telling about how I sat in a service one time when I was preaching with Dr. Uh, T.L. Osborne, and uh, he was talking out of the Scripture, and I could literally visualize this arm. Whom will the arm of the Lord be revealed to? And I'm thinking, you know, of the cute little song, Whose Report Will You Believe? But the Lord said to me, Those who will see the arm of the Lord revealed in their lives are people who believe the report. And then the Lord said, but specifically, not just any report, it's the report that you read in Isaiah 53. What report is that? He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He took on him the sin of the Romans 8 says he came to condemn sin in the flesh. And he took all of your iniquity and nailed it to a cross. And if you can get a hold of some of this, you will see the arm of the Lord revealed in your life as far as freedom from all of the bondages that we've been talking about. He goes on to say, He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He had internal bleeding to deal with all of the hurts and bruises and internal struggles that we have. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one into His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So He opened not His mouth. He was taken, here's the key verse, He was taken from prison and from judgment. Not just the, 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 the key verse for all of it, but for the key verse to the prison gate. The reason you can be set free from your prison, the reason you can be set free from your bondage is because He was imprisoned for you and went to judgment for you. And uh, he, he was taken from prison from judgment. And who will declare His generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. And for the transgression of my people, He was stricken. They made, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to a grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Now I want you to see the context of this. 
Because I believe that some of the bondage that we are set, being set free from is not just uh, the bondage of, we talked about that a few moments ago, anything you're in bondage to, whatever prison you've put yourself in, He's come to set the captives free. Now, I, 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 I want, I'm going to get to Isaiah 54 in just a moment and read to you the context of this again, but Jesus in His first public message is in the temple, one of the first and last times He ever gets to preach in His own Father's house. And He says, somebody go get me the book of Isaiah. And He found this text in Isaiah 61 where it says this, And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm sorry, to, uh, uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. He was in prison to open the door to the prison and to set at liberty the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus closed the book there. And He did not quote the rest of the Scripture, which says, and to declare the day of the vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the Spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that He might be glorified, and they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. So we're connecting this uh, restoring the waste places, building up the waste places, restoring the former desolations. We are connecting that to this reformation and restoration under Ezra and Nehemiah. And one of the pieces of this restoration is the restoration of the, of the prison gate. So they're at the prison gate, and what it's showing you is not that he's taking you into prison, but that he was taken into prison to set you free from all of the captivity and the bondages that you are in. Now what's amazing to me is that when Jesus preaches this first public message, He simply says, He has sent me to declare the year of the favor, the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of the favor of our God, the Gospels say. Jesus came, first of all, to declare favor. He purposely leaves out and the day of the vengeance of our God, because He is giving Israel every opportunity to escape the bondage, not just of the Romans and the captivity they've been in, but the bondage of an old covenant paradigm that has made servants and slaves out of them, and not sons. And one of the things that we've powerfully shown you through this series is that this transition uh, uh, you know, into the city of God is moving from an old covenant to a new covenant. And it's much of the bondage that God is wanting to deliver His people from is not just, uh, not just worldly bondage. That's there. Absolutely. You heard me talk about that already. He wants to deliver you from bondages of substance abuse and addictions and all kinds of things like that. But I think one of the hardest things to get people delivered from is religious bondage, and they're some of the most miserable people on the planet. When Jesus declared this in Matthew 11, He said uh, to them, He said, uh, 
Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wasn't talking to drug dealers and prostitutes on the street. He was talking to religious dudes. And if you read it in the context of Matthew 11, he talks about, first of all, John the Baptist. And he said, of all those born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. Yet I say to you that he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And he goes on to declare, especially in the Message Bible, all the law and the prophets prophesied, key word here, until John. They culminated with John, teaming up with him in preparing the way for the Messiah. And up until John, violent men seized the kingdom by force. But then he grabs that in Matthew 11, and this is how the Message Bible translates it. King James says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The Message Bible says it like this. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. And I believe one of the greatest bondages that God is wanting to set some people free from today is the bondage of an old covenant paradigm trying to pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture. You see, the law is not a ladder you climb to get God's favor. It is a wall you hit that makes you know you need a Savior and that you need grace. And at the moment you hit that wall and you say, listen, man, I cannot do this. Listen, Romans 3 declares that the end of the law is there's none righteous, no, not one, that he concluded all all under sin, so he can have mercy on all. Romans 1, 2, and 3 is the diagnosis of the problem. He indicts both outsiders and insiders, both Jew and Gentile, and says to them, you're all, read it in the Message Bible, you're all in the same sinking ship. It is all, nobody, there's none that does good. They've all fallen into captivity, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I think when you see that Isaiah 61 passages say, He came to set the captives free. He came to deliver us from the bondage of the prison we are in. You know, as I think about even Romans, the seventh chapter, the Apostle Paul's talking about his dilemma under law. He said in chapter 7, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He tells him in Romans 7 that we should be married to another, that when we were under the law, I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And he goes on and talks about the law and the transgression. He said, when I want to do good, you know, the commandment came and sin revived and it slew me. And he says, you know, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. And what I want to do, that's not what I do. But what I hate that's what I seem to do. And he declares this in the last few verses of Matthew, or not Matthew, Romans the seventh chapter, and he says, O wretched and pitiful man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God he will. And then he starts to shift gears and says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what makes us free from the law of sin and death. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus came in Romans 8 to condemn sin in the flesh, to set you free from the bondage of that pitiful, wretched man that you were in, in Adam, under the law. You see, the old covenant was written to the old man to try to modify his behavior. The new covenant is to the new man to try to develop and mature him. But I started seeing something in Romans 8 that I never saw before, because as you go down through that, Paul talks about, he said, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed. And Paul was, I used to preach that to give credibility to the message of suffering and talk about the more you suffer, the more favor of God you're under, or some kind of crazy stuff like that. And, you know, man, I, you know, I had a, a friend that told me he didn't think he was in, in God's elect bunch of people because he wasn't suffering. And I look at, back at that now and say, boy, that just was a, that was just a dumb thought to be thinking that you've got, listen, uh, if, if the Christian life is nothing but suffering, we're missing the point of the abundant life in Christ. But what Paul was talking about was the suffering and the persecution that he was undergoing in order to get a freedom to the people of God. Because he goes on to say in that same chapter, he said, for the, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed for the creature itself. He said, we groan within ourselves, uh, you know, uh, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. And for the first time, I started thinking about that in context, that he's not just talking about the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies as in immortality somewhere in the future. He was talking about the redemption from the body of this death the wretched, pitiful man that he was talking about in Romans 7. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, this captivity of this old uh, body of law, if you will, and this old man in Adam, and who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God he will. And then he begins to describe that in Romans 8 because he talks about the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. The word adoption there is the same word that's used in Galatians where Paul talks about we received the adoption of sons or the placing in the sonship when we were moved. He said when we were under the law, we were under governors and tutors, but when the time was appointed, we were placed in sonship, was which was our adoption. So the adoption to me, to wit, the redemption of our bodies was him talking about being moved from an old covenant paradigm and an old man and being moved into the body of Christ and into the new man and into your new nature. And the adoption was our placing into the new covenant as sons of God and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, because Paul talked about that the suffering he was undergoing would also bring a glorious, watch this, a glorious liberty uh, to not, not only him himself, he said, we grow within ourselves waiting for this adoption, but he said the creation itself would be brought into a glorious liberty. Can I tell you the glorious liberty that he's talking about there, I believe, is in the context of Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, is the bondage of the corruption that was under the law with its covenant of death. 
And so we've been redeemed from that and from the prison house of a repetitive life of when I want to do good, evil is pleasant with me, and I've been made a partaker of a divine nature. I've been placed in a better covenant where there is no condemnation. The Scripture tells us in Romans 8 that what the law was, if you read it in the Message Bible, was just a band-aid on sin, but it never was the deep healing of it. See, I don't believe God is just interested in, in uh, you know, uh, giving us a bunch of rules and threats to make us stop doing something. I believe He wants to transform our heart and take away the sin that is actually causing the problem and the missing of the mark. That's the bondage. From every kind of bondage you can imagine, He was taken from prison. Now, I want to go back here. I don't know how much time I'm going to have on this, but Isaiah 54, he said, right after he says he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was laid on him. In the very same, you know, we, we put chapters and verses in this, but it's just a continual flow of the same message. So he starts to talk about this incredible redemptive process and work of Isaiah 53. That if you can believe this report, that you can be set free from your bondages. He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your iniquity. His stripes gave you healing. He took what you had coming so you could get what He has coming. And right on the heels of that, He says, Sing, O barren, and you have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. Says the Lord, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is His name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah to me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. He's saying what this all pictures, the redemptive work of Christ, as he said, I picture it as the waters of Noah. I may have to come back and do a whole thing just on this, but I want us to come back and see that the context of this is he's saying, he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement so you could have peace was laid on Him by whose stripes you were healed. And I want you to sing that. He goes on to say, Sing, O barren, then, and you that did not bring forth. That quote of that scripture is uh, quoted in Galatians 4, once again, right on the heels of Him talking about uh, well, let me just read this to you from the Amplified Bible. He said, now what I mean when I talk about children and their guardians is this, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he is the future owner and master of all the estate, be it is under the authority of guardians and household administrators or managers until the date set by his father 
when he is of legal age. So also we, whether Jew or Gentiles, when we were children, spiritually immature, were kept like slaves under the elementary man-made religious or philosophical teachings of the world. But when God in, in but when in God's plan the proper time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law and the regulations of the law, so that he could redeem and liberate those who were under the law, that we who believed might be adopted as sons. I believe that's the adoption to wit that he's talking about in Romans 8. As God's children with all rights, as fully grown members of a family, because you are really His sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave or a bondservant, but a son, and if a son, then also an heir. The gracious act of God through Christ. But at that time when you did not know the true God and were unacquainted with Him, you Gentiles were slaves to those pagan things which by their very nature were not and could not be gods at all. Now let me just skip down here because I'm going to run out of time if I don't. He goes down here and says to them in uh, 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 verse number 21, Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, do you not listen to what the law really says? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, Hagar, and one by the free woman, Sarah. But the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, while the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. Now these facts are about to be used by me as an allegory. This is an illustration using them, for these two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai, where the law was given that beds children destined for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is and represents Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, that is the way of faith represented by Sarah, is free. She is our mother, for it is written in the Scriptures, Rejoice, see, he's quoting, Rejoice, O barren woman, who has not given birth, break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. And we being believing brothers and sisters like Isaac are children, not by merely a physical sin like Ishmael, but born according to the promise. So he's declaring to you that this bondage and this prison you are being set free is the bondage from this old covenant paradigm. And he uses this exact statement from Isaiah when he says, Sing, O barren, and you who did not bring forth, sing because you're about to bring forth because everything you saw in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, of the suffering of Christ, God said, I view that as the waters of Noah to me, and I will never be wroth with you again. That's why he could stand and declare that he came to set the captives free and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to bring those who have been tired, weary, burned out on religion into an unforced rhythm of grace. He was delivered from prison so you could come out of the prison great into the freedom of Christ Jesus. We're about to run out of time, but if you would like to uh, join our partnership in helping us take the gospel like this around the world, please do that by going to our website. It's the easiest way to give, and you can find on our website a link to a PayPal account where you can give via credit card or debit card or however you want to. You can also set up, if you would like, a recurring monthly gift you'd like to partner with us. Or you can call the number on the screen. Someone can take your credit card over the phone or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. But considerly, consider prayerfully helping us take the gospel around the world, and we deeply appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.